five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Episode 92 of the Squid and Ultimate Leap Band Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leap fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibes. Squid, how are we keeping? Doing okay, Mike. Uh, you know, I'm just looking at that picture. I think I ought to grow that beard back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you something to do. You know, I kind of like it. It's kind of, I don't know how to put it. I guess it, uh, uh well, it does make me look older, but well, they want to I say don't... that with those with those gray feathers that you got. It's not, <laughs> you know, I'd have a second thought about that squid. Fire you. I don't know. Maybe uh, makes me more sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. Well, you need it. Well, speaking of sophisticated, let's just jump right into it. Okay. So let's see how we go here. Listen, our guest today was taken 83rd overall by the Buffalo Sabers in the 1992 amateur draft, and would enjoy a 15-year career. Played an aggressive agitator role, amassing over 2,500 minute penalty minutes over 834 games, but it could also produce putting up over 300 points. Has continued to work in the media, uh, represents a um, betting site that you'll see on TV between uh, takes of the mm-hmm. commercials and the games. Please welcome Matthew Barnaby. Matt, thanks for joining us today, and how you keeping, man? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Squid, uh, pleasure as always. Saw you last week in Toronto for an amazing event for all Alzheimer's. It's $1.3 million. And the Squid is always a big part of that as as we know how much he does for the communities. But yes, uh, we are not going to get any any maturity or uh, sophistication uh, from this podcast. I can absolutely guarantee it. <laughs> Well, now, okay, so with the T-shirt, explain to us what you're doing these days, Matt. Uh, I work for Bet99, just a, a Canadian company in, in the betting world. Obviously, we, you can there's not, a, there's not a, a show you can watch on TV anymore without seeing a betting company yes. put up within 10 minutes. And it, it is kind of crazy. I've been a better my whole life, whether it's cards or whatever it may be. I remember gambling with my, uh, my mom and my family. Um, as a young kid, just playing like 25 cent poker and going from there and it's evolved and probably I like poker a little bit more than I did hockey or I would have been a better player. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm involved with them. They're, they're a great organization and a great company to work for and really gives me the ability to stay involved in sports, but also something else I love to do. And uh, that's the gambling aspect. I just got back from Vegas last night on the red dice. So it's been a, it's been a long, long night. <laughs> yeah those red those red eyes kind of kick the hell out of you don't they <laughs> yeah yeah when you, I, i'm 49 so it, it feels like i'm about 105 right now uh but yeah red eyes kill you for a couple days going both oh, ways yeah no I've, uh, I've taken a few of those in my day and uh although more, i was much much younger so i was able to get through it but right about now at my age i'm not sure i'd want to do that <laughs> Now, uh, yeah. now, 
Barney, getting back to these uh, uh, betting sites, how do these places that, like, as you mentioned, every commercial, just there's another one pops up. I mean, it's hard to keep track of them. I just happened to see yours again last night. Yours comes up a lot. Yeah. How do they separate themselves? Like, do they get better odds? Are they better payouts or less juice? Or how do how do they all distinguish themselves? Well, every company is going to be different. And I always tell people, and I probably shouldn't say this only because I work for our betting company. You should only use our betting company, but people that do bet a lot use several sites and, and odds change depending on who's betting yeah. what. So that's how the odds change. When you see it start at minus 40, what minus 140, um, that means you have to bet $140 to win $100 for people out there that really don't understand the, the numbers part of it. But, you know, people do use different sites. Uh, to me, always pick one, and I love ours. I, I, I'm I'm biased in a way, but I wouldn't be working for a company that I didn't believe in. And to me, you want to be able to get your money out quick. So if you want to, if you have money in your account, you know, right. and you want to take it out the next day or within uh, an hour, um, find a company that you can do that. And that that's the only way I could say without being super biased. Uh, to me, that's the most important. Obviously, the odds matter. You don't want to spend, you don't want to be betting $200 to win $100 when you can bet $140 to win $100. That just doesn't make economical yeah. sense. So find a company that you're very satisfied with that always answers your question very quickly. There are a lot of them. Um, I'm biased to our company, but uh, Canada companies in general, we're very lucky. So now for your company, do you actually have to put money in the account before you can bet or can you run credit? Uh, no, you have to put money in. I, 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 I never done anything on credit. I, I don't think you should be betting if you're putting it on credit. If you can afford okay. to pay that bill off, I always say, and, and we're responsible gambling. That's most important. Listen, we, we're a business. Um, the house wins on a general basis, and that's there's a lot of people that make a lot of money gambling. Uh, but the house, Vegas wins. They they build billion dollar casinos because they win. So you know, as much as I want to say, you know, everyone's going to win. That's that's just not the way it is. But is betting on a game on a Tuesday night, Ottawa versus Detroit, when they're both out of the playoffs, a little bit more fun when you have twenty dollars on it? One thousand percent. Because I'm not watching that game if I don't have money on it. But again, responsible gambling is is paramount and something that don't lose more money than you can afford to lose well i can i can be honest with you i do not bet on sports i will play blackjack i will do those types of things i'll play the slot machines whatever i don't bet on sports because they're so unpredictable and i don't know it's just me i guess but uh I don't want to put a hundred bucks on something that i'm not sure it's gonna turn out the way <laughs> i hope it yes. does but when you bet a hand of blackjack, you don't know what's coming up either, Rick. So I mean, if you well, do, if you do, you got to tell me the secret. Yeah, <laughs> you at least have a little bit more control uh, at the blackjack table because you know you can fold, you can you know take a card. You, you the dealer draws a six, he's showing a six. Your chances go up a a, a lot, and uh, you know then you you know maybe double up or something and. Anyway, it's uh, just the way I look at it. But uh, but boy, I'll tell you, there's got to be at least what uh, uh, fifteen of them in Ontario now. 
Well, as of April 4th, it all opened up. So now we have a lot more that have come into the playing ground. And that was inevitable. You know, that would happen. And it's a, it's a big, big business. I think we're at $6 billion a year right now. They expect it to grow um, in five years to $25 billion a year. So it's massive. It's like fantasy sports. Everyone's betting on fantasy sports now. It's just another avenue um, for, for people that like to gamble. Like I said, I love poker. I love poker. Um, love betting on sports. Football is my niche. I love college football. I love NFL. I'm a New York Jets fan, and I bet against the New York Jets uh, every week, and it's very profitable. So uh, I, I made up a T-shirt. Everyone always asks, like, what's your favorite team you played for? Or what's your favorite team? I'm like, the team that covers. Whoever covers the spread and makes the money, that's my favorite team. Hey, by the way, boys, uh, if you want the answer in how you can win a blackjack, here's your answer. Take uh, Dustin Hoff and Rayman with you to the table. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. or, or, or you can take Alan from Hangover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, okay, so that's, that's I mean, we, we, can come, we can come back to this a little bit. But now, Bernie, but last week we had George LaRock on and asked him this very question we're going to ask you, too. Were you serious about the ECHL comeback you threatened to have on the air with Sean Avery, or was that uh, just trying to stir it up? First of all, I, I, I was praying you were going to ask me the question, who is a bigger penis, me or George LaRock? Because I, I, <laughs> I, I, I definitely would have taken, taken George on that one. Um, no, I was super serious about it. I, I was, you know, my son plays in the East Coast. He plays for Fort Wayne. I hate Sean Avery. I've never met Sean Avery. I just know a lot of people that have played with him and know what kind of person he is. So I don't like him. I hate him. I think he's a bad dude. And I was actually laying uh, in bed. It was 10 o'clock at night when Orlando had tweeted out that Sean Avery had signed. And my girlfriend was laying on my chest and I go, hey, babe, I'm going back to play hockey. And she's like, Wednesday? Like, really? Uh, like, oh, I think I'm going back to the East Coast. I I just asked to sign with any team in the division um, that he was in. So I was really prepared. I jumped on the Peloton uh, the next morning at 6 a.m., started riding the bike. I was ready to go. Unfortunately, he couldn't have uh, – couldn't hold up his end of the bargain because I was ready to go, man. I was, I, was, I was raring to go, ready to win one fight in my career. But uh, <laughs> I did have two teams that were very interested. We were very close. But once he was cut, I'm not going to fight tonight. He, a young 25-year-old, I can promise you that. No, no, and I, I, I watched your son play a few games this year, uh, uh, Matthew, and uh, he was coming along pretty good. Uh, I thought he played very well. Did he get he got hurt though, right near the end of the season, right? Yeah, yeah. he snapped his ankle and he played through a broken ankle. Obviously, he played against your son, who's a very, very good player, very good player, and a dominant player at his size. You don't see skill with that size very often. Um, watched them many a games where they played against each other, but he broke his foot. He played through it for, for about a month and then it just became too painful. And we know like right. there's injuries and then there's being hurt. Um, it was an injury. So by the end, he just couldn't deal with it anymore. And we'll see what next year brings. Every year is a, a, a new um, avenue when you're, when you're in the professional sports, especially at that level. So uh, we'll see. I just got a picture from him now. He's, he's having a great time. Uh, in Cancun with a lot of his buddies from Toronto. So uh, don't expect to get many oh, more texts for the next week. <laughs> well, I can tell you my son went to Fort Wayne last year because Cincinnati didn't go in. They ended up winning the championship. He, yeah. he had a 
he had a wonderful time there. He, he said he really enjoyed it, but he loves Cincinnati and he's got a, his girlfriends there and everything. So, you know, and he's a captain, he's a player assistant coach. And I mean, you know, he's going to stay there until I, I think he's going to play a couple more years and then more than likely he'll get into coaching. I think. Now, is she from go. Cincinnati? Pardon me? Is she from Cincinnati? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, power of pussy. Power of pussy, he'll never leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, is, that, is, that is so true. <laughs> the um, Now, let's let's talk a little bit about you, Barney, going back. You were born in Ottawa, played junior in the Quebec League. Take us through that period of your life as a youngster and how you ended up in Ballport. Yeah, it's, it's actually a crazy story. I, I was a really talented hockey player when I, when I was younger. Like, I'm talking 9, 10, 11, 12, like, yeah. I was a smaller guy, but pr pretty talented. Um, like all of us, we we let our anyone that played in the NHL, I guarantee, almost led their team in scoring all, all the way up. And then I hit 14, and I was super super small. Didn't hit puberty when everyone else was hitting puberty. 15 came along the same lines, and I got cut at at 15 and 16 uh, from my double A teams back then. Now it'll be triple A. Next year, it'll be quadruple A because everyone's always chasing the A. You just get to throw another A on there and charge another $1,000. You can make an organization. Um, but I, I didn't make double A at the time. So I went down when I crossed over because we had moved to Elmer just across the border from Ottawa. And and I ended up playing double B. My my uh, my coach was Buddy LaRock for two years. And oh. where I wanted to play double A. And he was, he was instrumental. He was great. He was fun to play for. Uh, he made the game really, really fun. And when I was in a transition, I went down a level. I was super small. Everyone was still super big, but when you go down a level, the talent level isn't uh, as, as much as um, playing double A. So I had two really, really good years. And um, then between my last year of Bantam and then going to midget double uh, A, because I got cut from triple A the year after, went down to double A, double A. So essentially the same thing. I grew from like five foot two to six feet in literally a four to five month span. So Jesus. when AAA called me up, I said, no, I'm very happy where I am. Um, I ended up having a coach, Michelle Sharon at the time um, that really liked me. And I, I figured they, they really wanted me. I was the best player on that team. And it was kind of a major uh, sorry, major minor year. Um, so I was one of the younger guys, but I was still a top scorer. And where I got called up, I was like, do I want to go up and be the 10th or 11th forward on, on the better team or be the best player on, on, on the team, not quite as high a level. And I was like, I think it's better for me at that time to be the man, the go-to guy. So you know, had a great year. I think I had, I don't know, 95, 100 points in like 35 games, um, somewhere in that realm. Yep. And we had a really good year. We went to, we went to States, we went to provincials and, and was scouted uh, just at the end of the year. So I, I was fortunate that way. If I didn't make it, I was going to the auto six sevens on a trial with Brian Kilrig. Cause he had known me through summer hockey over the years and got to meet him a few times. So Ended up going to the draft in Montreal. I was expected. I thought uh, from talking to teams, I was going to go in like seventh round, maybe the eighth round. 
Well, round 17 was coming along and I was still sitting there eating popcorn and, and never heard my name. So, you know, there was teams were starting to pass because they had too many players. You can only have so many players come. So I was like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I told my brother, I'm out. Let, let's go. He goes, hey, you might even be the last pick. Like, you just need to get drafted. And I was like, fuck no. We are going home. So we jump in a car from Montreal back to Gatineau, about two hours. And I go to a summer hockey practice the next day. I'm dejected, like embarrassed. And they're like, congratulations. I'm like, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Twitter. We couldn't scroll and say, oh, my God, got drafted in the 20th round. But I was drafted last overall in, in, in the Quebec League. And I was like, I ran outside right away and got on the pay phone. And like you wouldn't believe it, I got I got drafted. And they're like, "What round?" I'm like, "Last overall." But I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna go make this, I'm gonna go make this fucking team. So one thing led to another. Trained hard all summer. Um, I probably don't make the Laval Titans. I don't, probably don't make Verdun. But I went to an expansion team that had was they didn't pass on anyone because they just needed players at their training camp. And I got a great coach in LA, Shaney, who was a, a scout for Quebec. Nordiques uh, right before that and took over as head coach and you know I was six feet 148 pounds and fought 13 times in the next three and a half days and uh, lost every one of them and uh, he took me on the team. Well, you, you, yeah you were in good company there you were born in Ottawa I was born in Ottawa my father's from Gatineau I got tons of relatives in Elmer uh, so yeah. I mean, I'm surprised you didn't run into some of my relatives there. <laughs> well, is, is your brother or cousin? Is it Jeff Vibe? Uh, he's a yeah, he's a distant cousin. I, I okay. I mean, I've never met him or anything, but he's like a third or fourth cousin. Because he played for the '67s, and I, yeah. I I lived those three years in Elmer, so I was in Elmer, and then I played my last year in Hull uh, before going to Quebec City. So, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Okay, now Barney. Okay, six foot, one hundred forty-eight pounds. Your first year with Beauport, you played fifty-two games, nine goals, five assists, and fourteen points. Two hundred sixty-two minutes in penalties. Did you? Now your last year when you played in the QAHA, you had one hundred forty-nine minutes in penalties. Did you make a conscious decision that look, if I'm going to stay here, I got to be noticed, and I'm just going to do whatever it takes and just go after these guys? I mean, that's a lot of fighting. My, I'd say that I'd, I'd say really we had two days of practices before inner squad game started, and I remember, you know, when when you grow that that much that quickly, you're still undersized, even though you're six feet, 148 yeah. pounds. It's not a lot of power behind your legs. So, not at all. I, I I remember calling back after the second day and telling my mom and brother they were going to come up for the weekend. So it's the camp started. Let's say just on a Wednesday, Thursday, they were going to come up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I remember calling home and just saying, hey, don't come up. I'm probably going to be cut. I, these guys are bigger. They're stronger. I'm 17. These guys are 18, 19, 20. They're just, they're just bigger and stronger. I, 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 I think I'm as good or better than most of the guys, but I just can't do it. And my brother just said to me, he goes, do something to stand out. He didn't say to fight. He didn't say, you know, consciously to go out and, and do that. I think he'd be an absolute psychopath and tell your brother or, or or child to go out and fight and do that um and i just went on i was like i gotta do something to stand out here 
and I just made a conscious decision the next day. Fuck it. Let's go for it. I've never fought in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a pretty cocky kid, but let, let's get at it. So I remember sitting on the bench and I have my books coming out uh, in November and it actually starts. Uh, I think the first line in the book is I'm sitting there on the bench sweating because I know what's going to happen next. And I just asked, who was the toughest guy here? And they just pointed to this 20-year-old, uh, Guy Lefebvre, 6'3", 225, giving up almost 100 pounds. And I'm like, fuck it, let's go, man. And I fight him, and he kicks the fuck out of me. And I'm telling you, I don't get a punch in. And I come out of the box, and I fight him again. And I go back in, and I fight him again. And the coach comes up to me, he goes, I don't know who the fuck you are. And I'm English. I don't think we're like three English guys at this whole camp. And he just says, you don't have to fight. He goes, I love it. But you don't have to fight. And I just proceeded to fight and fight and fight and fight. And he goes, you're going to be our 21st forward. We're only, only going to carry 20, but we're going to keep you along. And I, I didn't play much. the first. I had zero points at Christmas that first year. So I went home and I had however many penalty minutes, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but I was, I, I found out really quickly Quebec loves fighting. Uh, they like English guys that try to speak French and really just try and, and endorse it. And they, women, um, love guys with mullets, no money, and like to drink beer. <laughs> so I fit in. Well, hey, hey, Barney, it must have worked because in 91 92, now, Squid. I know you scored lots, but this is very, very impressive. 29 goals, 37 assists, 66 points in 63 games, but 476 minutes in penalties. Oh, my God. <laughs> Barney, they knew who you were, I'm telling you. It, oh. It's funny because I like uh, my, my, my roommate at the time, his name was Jim Birmingham. He was drafted by Detroit. He had an agent. And I was like, well, who's that? He's like, well, that's my agent. And I'm like, oh, cool. He goes, don't worry, you'll, you'll, you'll never need one. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. I was like, all right, I probably probably won't. Unless I'm going to do like small size porn, there's no way I'm going to need an agent. So uh, didn't, didn't, didn't have one, didn't need one, whatever it may be. That second year, I put on about 25 pounds. Yeah. And what a difference. Um, the difference between like midget, to going to junior, junior to NCAA, NCAA, or whatever it may be to pro. It's all about size mm -hmm. and strength. That right, Squid? Like, yeah. You're, you're playing against men. Well, for me, the hardest thing was I found it easier to make the NHL than I did junior, only because of the size and strength. By the time I got to, to pro, I was a little bit more ready just physically. So when I got to camp that next year, whatever it may be, just felt better, felt stronger, um, and had a really good camp, was named assistant captain, which was, like, to me, just an honor after being, first of all, I was English and a French, more than Montreal, Quebec City is French, French, French. And and to be named assistant captain at a training camp was uh, was something that I relished and I was very proud of. And I, I didn't think I was going on. I didn't think about the NHL. And it wasn't about till Christmas where the year started off well. I was playing probably third line, maybe second power play minutes, and, and goals started going in. I was still losing fights, but I was fighting everyone. Um, <laughs> but I was still losing them. You know, we had, we had Sandy McCarthy, Gino Ojek, Daniel Arsenault, 
uh, man, it was a tough, I, I called the wild, wild west. Uh, but I, ha I, I had a pretty good year uh, from 14 points to, to 66. Um, I was pretty happy. And then, you know, right around Christmas, I, I, I saw a list and my name was on the central scouting list. I didn't even know what fucking central scouting was. I was like, God, <laughs> no clue what we're doing here. Um, and they had me as like a B lister. I was like, oh, cool. No more than that. And finished off the year. And like I said, the draft came. I was very fortunate. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you're right, though. It's, it's quite an adjustment. I remember going to Sherbrooke. I think it was six foot. I think it was, what, 160 pounds, you know, which is, I mean, tall, but kind of skinny and, yeah. and whatever. And I think by the time I went to Birmingham, I was about 185. And then a couple of years later, playing in the NHL, I was 210. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, it all – it's funny when you're 17 to when you're 22 is a big, big difference. Don't judge kids too early. That's no, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So Barney, talk about your draft year. When you found out you finally did get drafted by the Sabres, how'd that day all go down? It was pretty cool. It was in Montreal. So I was a Quebec leaguer, right? And brought all my family and, and friends down and, uh, just remember being at the draft, and I talked to a, a, a lot of lot, lot of teams at, at the time, and you know they were they were they were they were all cool. They were they just didn't think I could do it at the next level because because of my size. Would I would I be willing to fight Bob Probert or any of the big guys at the time? Would I be willing or because there's a lot of guys who can do it in junior and then they go to the NHL and they're like these guys are real men now, like real real men and it's scary and people it's not pretend they try to break the face like that's that's the that that that's the goal when you fight is to beat the other guy up as as much as you can so i just remember my interview with john muckler and a couple of scouts and uh, i was sitting around a, a board table and you know i think i was rated in the third round uh but could have went anywhere from the second to maybe the sixth and anywhere in that 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 range i think there was 12 rounds back then but uh, I remember having my meeting with them and they're like, Hey, we really like you. Larry Carrier was the guy that scouted me yeah. and brought me in for the meeting. And Larry, you know, followed me around and we had our conversations and he was, he was always great and just a really nice man. But I remember John Muckler saying, Larry loves you. Thinks, thinks you can play, thinks you can play in the league. Says you, you're a different bird. And I'm like different in like, which way? He was like, he just says you're different. You're willing to do anything. And he's like, okay, got a question for you. Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, Bob Probert wants to fight you at 8.08. What do you say? And I'm like, well, it's pretty easy. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I would have already asked Bob to fight at 8.03. <laughs> Larry, Larry Carrier looks at him and goes, I fucking told you he's a different bird. <laughs> and he goes, if you're there where you have, we have you ranked, no promises, but if we have you there where we have you ranked, you will be a Buffalo Sabre. Now, I didn't know if that was second round. I didn't know if it was the 12th round. I had no clue, but that was our, our conversation. And it's funny thing, at the draft, Quebec Nordiques, I had talked to a lot. And I'm sitting in the stand with my families, and, you know, it's, Mon it's Montreal. It's the Forum. And... You're so excited. Quebec Nordiques, I think, drafted maybe 76 or 79. Can't remember exactly, but they go Quebec Nordiques draft from the Beauport Harfangs. And I stand up and I hug my mom. And they're like, 
Ian McIntyre. <laughs> okay, uh, wrong guy. <laughs> yeah. Ian was a better junior player than me. He was a year younger, and he was way tougher than me. They should have taken Ian McIntyre at the time because I thought he was going to be a for sure pro. But a few picks later, Buffalo uh, picked me, and it was uh, it was unbelievable. So you're we. I don't know how many people we've had. Ninety people on this podcast. Every single person was at the forum or somewhere else for their draft. Yeah. Mine was in August, and it was a goddamn phone draft. And I was sitting at home waiting for the phone call to find out who drafted me. So, was there COVID back then? No, it was it was a merger year between the WHA and the NHL. And uh, but anyway, it was in August. It didn't really matter. I mean, it it, it would have been nice to have gone to Montreal to the forum, like yeah. you said, and be with your family and everything. But it didn't happen for me, and so it did happen for you. So what was that like, your first training camp? We had rookie camp uh, first, and I ended up fighting Brad May, and I chased Brad May around, but he wasn't allowed to fight me, and we ended up we ended up fighting because I just was relentless, and he, he hit the shit out of me again. This is an ongoing story where I lose fights. This, this, is, this is not good, but... You know, we leave there, and, and Brad's one of my friends, absolutely loving him. He's just driving expectation. Now, I'm only 165, 168 when I go to my first training camp, and I my nickname in junior was Killer. Not a clue why when you go seven wins, 300 losses in, in fight. <laughs> um, you know, the, the year after my 448, I had 476 with 111 points. Like, it's my... Anyone asks me, like, statistically, what's your best year? I'm like, my last year junior, 111 points with almost 500 minutes and penalties. That's that that that's my year statistically that I look at. But I, I get to training camp, and my nickname's Killer. So we had a dinner at the Knox family uh, golf place, Craigburn in, in Buffalo. Yeah. yeah, you know very well. And we're sitting around having dinner, and and everyone's giving speeches and they're like, we want everyone to stand up and say where you came from, what position you play and what team you played for. So I'm like, hi, gets to my turn, Matthew Barnaby, right winger, Beauport Harfangs. And I go to sit down and Rob Ray goes, killer's going to get fucking killed tomorrow. (laughs) Sit down and I'm sitting with all rookies, right? There's no veterans at my table. And all the guys were like, oh, my God, you are fucking dead. You're dead. <laughs> I'm like, now my heart's, my heart's pounding. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to fight him anyways. I was going to fight him or Gord Donnelly or Kevin McClellan, whatever. So I'm like, who do we play first? And I look at the thing, it's Kevin McClellan. So I'm like, okay. So I fight Kevin McClellan first. Whatever. I lose. Not too badly. <laughs> Get in the next game fight whoever, fight another guy, lose, not too badly. So now I'm chasing Rob all over the ice. And he's like, you want to go? And we fight. And he beats me up bad. Like, beats me up bad. Go to the box. But training camp back then, there was no refs, really. Like, there was refs, but there was no real refs. So you go in the box, go back to your bench, come back out, and I track him down again. I'm like, let's go again. We fight. 
gives it to me pretty good, but not as bad as the first one. <laughs> Get back to the bench, come right out of the bench, and I chase him, and I two-hand him right across the back of the legs. I go, let's fucking go again. He goes, there's something fucking wrong with you. I go, let's fucking go. This time I actually do pretty well. Still lose. <laughs> but I do pretty well. And we're up against the boards, whatever. And he knocks my helmet off. And I go to get my helmet off the ground. Now we've fought, we fought three times in less than like 13 minutes. Jesus. And I go to pick up my helmet. He fucking sucker punches me as I'm leaning down. So I go nuts and, and whatever happened. So that was my first taste of, of Buffalo Sabres and Rob Ray and, and, and all of that. But uh, not that bad. What were the guys saying to you through camp coming out of that? Like, you must have had everybody's attention. And by the way, those numbers I was going to bring up, Barney, your last year, that was in 65 games you put up those 111 points and almost 500 minutes in penalties. That was very, wow. very impressive on three teams. Yeah, I, I missed the first couple of games because I was in Buffalo for the start of camp. And then I, I had like a four or five game suspension. Um, I, <laughs> I tried to break a guy's arm in the penalty box. Uh, I, he came over and he came in the penalty box and we were fighting in the penalty box. I was trying to close the door on his arm. Um, so it got a little, got, got a little away from me, but it was, Quebec league was crazy, man. We were the original canopy. So now every team has a canopy when they come out so they don't get beer doused on in that. When I tell you Bullport was the craziest fucking place I've ever been and seen, like it was insanity, insanity. Now well, I, got, I got to tell you, it was pretty crazy when I played in Sherbrooke. I mean, we had we played Laval two years in a row in the first round of the playoffs. We had bench clearing, or well, the word bench clearing. They were in the warm up. Everybody in the warm up started fighting, and I remember Jimmy Mann standing on the bench, and he had someone by the sweater who was on the ice, and he had he had his skates on the bench. So he had good footing, and he was just pounding this guy. I'm looking. I got a hold of a guy, and he's got a hold of me, and we're looking at that, and we're going, holy shit. <laughs> my, my, my first half a year, Ricky, I'm glad you brought that up. My first year, well, first year there, my first 10 games, we had like seven bench brawls in warm-up. They stopped it. We would get 15 minutes of warm up. The other team would get 15 minutes of warm up for the next oh, 30 that's right. games. Yeah, because there was there was, there was too many too many brawls. You you if you went near a red line, you were getting two handed or clotheslined, one or the other. Well, it's, funny, it's funny that you saw you you know because I one of the things when I went to junior and then when I went to the WHA NHL, I fought a lot because I just wanted to make sure like hey guys, you're not going to intimidate me. I don't give a shit what you do. I'm you might kick the shit out of me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be there. And I remember my I, I'll never forget my first fight in junior. And it was against uh gosh, what I can't remember his name, defenseman with the ramparts, Mario Marowa. Well, no one told me, well, of course they didn't know I was gonna fight him. And he was a 19-year-old and Nobody told me he was a lefty. I didn't know he was a lefty. <laughs> he hit me with about seven punches before I even threw one. And he was like, oh, shit. So, but you know what? Hey, you know what? Whether you win or lose, it's about showing up and just letting them know that you're not going anywhere and you're not going to be intimidated. And I think that that goes a long way. 
I, I think like, there's heavyweights. There's the Probies. There's the Koshers. There, there's the Browns. There, there's so many. The George LaRocks. You can go on and on. There's so many tough guys. But the best teams I played on were, were teams that stuck together, guys that would stand up for each yeah. other, whether you're a scorer. You, you need your scorers. Listen, Edmonton's not going to win without Connor McDavid being at his best. That's, mm-hmm. that's just fact. But when you have guys that stand up for each other and, and guys are willing – to step outside of their realm because I was expected to fight or I was expected to do that. When guys are willing to step out their realm, whether it's once a year or five times a year, whatever it may be, I think those guys galvanize together. I, I, I truly do. Well, I think one of the things you just said, I think we've heard a lot and, and we've talked about a lot. As you said, all the way up, anybody that's playing in the NHL or played in the NHL were the best player on their team. But now you get to the NHL, and sometimes you got to find a different role or a different niche in order to stay there. And obviously, you did, but then you started playing and scoring goals and, and getting assists, and, and that kind of, you know, all went together with the fighting and everything else, and it, and, and it worked out. Well, you, you look at a guy, two, two great examples I can think of that I, that I played against, Ian LaPerriere and mm-hmm. Rene Corbet. Uh, two guys that probably scored 165 points their last year in junior, but were never going to do that in the NHL. So they decided to stand up for teammates, block shots, back check, do all the little things, learn how to penalty kill, do all those little things because role players stay, but they don't stay as long as, as scores, right? Scores, scores are going to stay for a long period of time. So those top six, those Rick as, Ryan, as long as you keep scoring. <laughs> very true, but you're put in positions to score, and, and you're there for a reason because you're, you're scorer. So, yes, there are all those outliers that, that fall by the wayside and can't do it anymore. You, you were able to do it for a consistent period of time. Um, you know, Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lim, they, they they're not leaving. So you, yeah. you want to get into that lineup? I don't care if you scored 140 points. You're, I was never going to be able to do that at the next level and you know you just have to find i've heard this saying i think billy garen said it a lot of people say they're willing to do anything willing to do anything to play in the nhl are you really are 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 you really willing to do anything or are you just saying that are you willing to wait like you willing to wake up at six o'clock in the morning are you willing to miss parties are you willing to are, are you willing to block shots when you're a scorer and it's outside your realm? Are you, are you really willing to do that? And that goes for that goes for business. That goes for everyday life. Are, are you willing to yep. do anything in business to get to that next level? Or are you just saying it? There's a big difference between saying it and doing it, and it's it's massive. Because if you really want to do it, you can do a lot of stuff. Well, it's no, the same as a lot of guys always say, I hate to lose. Well, the real question is, do you hate to lose or do you, do you hate to, or are you afraid to win? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you look at you look at the playoffs, and you know, I, well, over the years, there's been a lot of role players that have, you know, played 15, 18, 20 years because they were good at what they did. They found a way to 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 be that third or fourth line guy and block shots and kill penalties and and fight or whatever the case might be. And you look at Tampa right now, you know, look at some of the unsung heroes on that team, Colton. Uh, 
Paul. Who's the, uh, Nick Paul. Nicky Paul. Nick Paul. And uh, the old guy there, he's got he's got five goals or six goals too. Corey uh, Perry. Corey Perry. I mean, it's like, you know, if you can do that and you can play that role, you can stay in the league a long time. Find a niche and be a good teammate. Plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. So now, Barney, talk about uh, like start off from Rochester. So for the first few years of your career, back and forth between Rochester and Buffalo, just walk us through that whole period. And were you getting a little bit frustrated because you were putting up decent numbers in Rochester? You were fighting anybody, obviously, that came your way. You get up to Buffalo, but they send you back. I I, I guess frustrated, and it's funny at the time I, I was more embarrassed that I because I started in Buffalo really quickly. I was more embarrassed that I was getting sent down and I now having a son in the business and, 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 and getting it like, it's hard, man. It's hard to make it. And it's, it's hard to get your foot in the door. And I, I, I'd say more embarrassed, but not frustrated because I love the guys that I play with in Rochester. They were great guys. And I had Jason Daw and Philip Boucher who ended up having long NHL careers. And um, we had a good team, young team uh, in, in Rochester, but I found when I went up, I just didn't get an opportunity to really play at all. And I think that was the hardest part is not having the opportunity. So frustrated that way. Uh, yeah. But we had great leaders and Scott Metcalf and, and Jody Gage, who's an AHL legend. Just a, I think he has 500 goals in, in the American Hockey League. So we had a really close-knit group of guys and great veterans that really took care of the young guys. Uh, the wives of, of, of all of them were very... Um, you know, just, just treated us very well. My roommate was Doug McDonald from the University of Wisconsin, who was, who was just an awesome dude. Um, it was nothing to go. You just want to get to the next level. So I guess frustration with not having the opportunity, I think, when I went up at the time and, and embarrassed that I got sent down when I shouldn't have been and just kept on working at my game. And there was no difference in my game, although I think anyone except for, like, the superstars are better served to spend a year a year and a half in the minors to mm -hmm. learn how to be a pro and how to grind three and three games because it's fucking hard. It's it's hard to play three and three nights in three different cities where there's no cameras because you can get beat up on, on a nightly basis in that league. Um, and suspensions are not even a thing. It's it's nothing. I remember fighting the Robert brothers on the same ship when I'm like, guys, I, Give me a camera so you guys can see what's going on here. Um, but yeah, one of my last games was fighting Link Gates. Uh, or trying oh, to try, I should say trying to fight Link Gates, and we ended up getting kicked out. Um, coach getting mad at me, and I'm like, why are you mad at me? He's like, because Buffalo doesn't want you dead. They want to see you in a Buffalo Sabres uniform at some point. But my time in Rochester was absolutely awesome. Great, great place to play in the American Hockey League. Yeah, I think if you're going to play in the American Hockey League, that's one of the better places to play. I mean, I know my last year in Buffalo, I didn't play a lot, and I was in the press box for three months, asked for a trade. They, they wouldn't move me, so I said, well, at the deadline, if you don't move me, send me to Rochester because I, I want to play. And uh, Tampa yeah. and Ottawa were coming in the next year. So I went down there. We made it to the semifinals, and it, it was a blast. And – you know, I, Lindy Ruff was down there with me and uh, uh, Terry Martin and, uh, uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember. Anyway, we had good coaching. I had a bunch of buddies that played with me in Buffalo that we all went down there and played, and, and it was a lot of fun. 
Hey, welcome everyone to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid. Vive, Squid, does Tampa moving on past the President's Cup champions so easily soften the pain for Leafs Nation, or does it make it worse knowing what could have been? I'll be honest with you. I think it makes it worse, personally. <laughs> I mean, for me, anyway, because they beat Tampa, then, you know, like I said, the first round was going to be the most – the toughest one for them because of mentally, not physically, and they played extremely well. But I mean, you got to look at Tampa and the way they defend and how many sh uh, shots they block and the ones they don't block, they got a, they got a brick wall back there. So <laughs> that is absolutely for sure. So, I mean, before we get into, into that a little bit deeper, any surprises in the playoffs in your eyes so far? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that Tampa beat Florida so easily. I, I really am. I, I mean, I thought that was going to go seven games, uh, maybe six or seven. Um, at, at the start, uh, St. Louis, Colorado, I thought was a little bit, but Colorado's taken over and they're up 3-1 with a chance to win, I think, tonight. I think they play. Yes. And uh, I, I am a little surprised that Edmonton's up 3-1 on Calgary as well. Uh, I, I thought Calgary was going to be a, a bigger opponent for, for uh, Edmonton. But when you got Kane scoring the way he is and, and Dreisaitl and, and McDavid playing the way they are, I mean, uh, yeah, how, how the heck are you going to stop those guys? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is pretty tough. Well, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you on some of your calls there, too. The battle of Alberta has been good, but it has been great. Uh, the most exciting aspect of the series, I think, is the unpredictability of the goaltending because, well, you saw last night that yeah. shot Smith 140 feet and goes in it. I mean, every shot has got a chance to go in a net, so it's just like a beer league game. So, you know, who knows? That one really kind of surprised me a little bit. Carolina can't win on the road. No, that series looks like just awful. I mean, it's boring as all get out. And outside of Truba, again, he's always seemed to be in center. He's taking a run at Max Domi last night. Yeah, I, did, uh, I, I, I didn't watch it at that point. I had watched it before that. I think I turned it off just before that happened. But, I mean, did he even get a penalty? I, I, saw the, I didn't see it. I just saw the highlight this morning. Got like, I watch. saw the replay, and that certainly looked to me like he hit him in the head first. Well, remember, he two-handed the guy across the back of legs the previous game and then got ragdolled which was a stupid play in Domi's part going after a guy when there was no time in the clock. Remember he slashed him across yeah, the back? Yeah, yeah. So it was just stupid. So maybe that was a little payback. But Colorado, though, as we keep talking about these teams, they look like they have another gear, which is kind of scary. I, I was a little mm -hmm. surprised that you like Florida, the quiet exit. In a way, it's not surprising because during the regular season, you may be able to spot teams a few goals, but in the playoffs – when you're playing against a special goal like Vasilevsky, you can't get away with trying to outscore other teams like they're trying to do. And I no. think they got a little, they got a little whack uh, from Tampa in a real hard way. So I think they're going to have some soul searching in the offseason themselves. Yeah, and they're going to have to, they're going to have to make a few little adjustments. I would think. Uh, I mean, because they they've got to be right up against the cap or maybe yeah. over it in yeah. the playoffs. So what are they going to do from here? And and uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought – but, I mean, Tampa played so well. I mean, like I said, defensively, I mean, Florida couldn't get any shots from 
in the slot area or anything like that. They had a few, and the ones they did have, Vasilevsky stood tall and stopped them. Other than that, they had, I think Tampa in one game had 50-some block shots. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, they're just, they just they look like New Jersey back in the, the day with just boring checking type hockey, but the stars not real. I mean, Kucherov's played well, but not standing out and leaning on their goalie. In the old days, it was Martin Brodeur. In this case, it's Vasilevsky. I mean, they're not, they're winning, which is scary, and not dominating. Yeah. But you know what? When you pick that trophy over above your shoulders at the end of the year, who gives a damn? <laughs> no, no, you're 100, 100. That's that's the scary part. That if they got anything left in them, I mean, just imagine. So them in Colorado look like they're on a sort of a collision course for them to meet in the final, looks like. I can't see Calgary Edmonton at that type of goaltending they have going any further past this round once they get through. Yeah, I I mean, I can't imagine that, uh, you know, unless uh, uh, – what's the guy's name in Calgary, the goalie? He's had a a terrific terrific, uh, season. Markstrom. Yeah, Markstrom, and and unless he gets it gets it turned around, uh, Calgary's got not going anywhere. And Edmonton with Smith in there, I mean, it's iffy. It's it's like okay, well let's let's roll yeah, the okay. dice and see what the heck happens here. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. So it's been it's moving along here. So the big question everybody has in their minds now. Now we got to talk about our guys. Well, so, the, for, before you do that, the for, the yeah. other thing I wanted to say was Tampa. When you think of Perry and Colton have five goals apiece yes. in the playoffs. I mean, you know, when, when your fourth line guys are getting are scoring five goals in, in the playoffs, yes, then that means your team's going to have a pretty good chance to win. And there's games you didn't even know if Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov were even playing. Yeah, exactly. And they're still winning. Yeah. And by the way, and without Brandon Point as well, also. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Imagine, imagine if they had him. I mean, wow. Anyway, it's like it's it's just they just they just look like like they're coached to win in the playoffs, and that's the way they play. They block shots. They they take away the whole middle of the ice in front of the net, and like I said, anything that does get through, wow. Vasilevsky's there to stop it, it seems, anyway. Well, and the thing's good, you know, also about this is the experience you always talk about, and I mean, you can relate to this, is the fact that these guys, they just look relaxed. Like, they there's mm-hmm. no panic in their game. And they're just saying, bring it on to us. You want to take 50 shots? Go ahead. But you're going to be taking them off from the perimeter. And they yeah. just look so relaxed. It's almost like a midseason game against a bottom-place team, the way they're playing. And it's your, to your point, the coaching and the way they're structured – they're just they're ready any way you want to play. You want to physical it up, they will. You want to get into a little bit of a horse race, you can do that too. You want to play like this, we can play this way too. And they just sit back and capitalize on the mistakes with guys like, like you mentioned, like Paul, Colton, yeah. uh, Perry. Even look at the big uh, what's his face? Lardass there got one the other night. <laughs> you know, so. Maroon. My God, like when when he's scoring, you know you got a problem on the other team. Okay, that's time to say I've had it. I think one of the things you got to look at too is is John Cooper, okay, the head coach. He won a Calder Cup in the American Hockey League, and then all of a sudden he gets moved up to Tampa. They have a couple of you know so-so years, and then two cups in a row, Stanley Cup Finals before that once or twice. Uh, 
I mean, this guy knows how to coach. He knows how to win at, at when the time is right, and that's playoff time. Well, it's sure coming true. Well, speaking of which, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'll throw this one at you here. The three most pressing needs in your view for the Maple Leafs in the offseason. I, I still – Number one is I, I, I do believe they still need one more defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need a, a playoff kind of type defenseman. Um, and I think – you know, that well, depending on what happens with their free agents, as we talked about, they have what six unrestricted and four restricted. Yes, I think they need to get Campbell signed Number because one. there's no one out there that's better than him right now that they can go and sign. And uh, you know, I, I think they need to shore up their fourth line a little bit more with, with guys that can play play a little physical but also contribute with, with some goals and assists and those types of things. Cause when you look at Tampa, their fourth line is producing, you yep. know, their, their third line is producing. And I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't make any, any changes whatsoever to any of the staff because I thought they did a wonderful job last mm-hmm. year. Yep. The team had, had a fantastic regular season. They played well in the playoffs. So why make, there's no reason to make drastic changes, but like I said, there's guys that need to sign, and that means they may have to move out some money. Well, here's the way I look at it. The easy one, I think, is Jack Campbell. they got to sign a goal. They need a goalie, and he's he's the best one, I think, available for the price that he's going to come in at. Even Darcy Kemper, who's somebody – they don't even rank him as one of the top key players in Colorado for them to advance, and usually your goal is what wins for you in the Stanley Cup Finals. But he still makes $4.5 million now, and he'll be looking for a raise next year. Uh, Eric Shalgren is a capable backup at 750. So unless Joseph Wall can push him, I think Campbell's got to be the priority. Or the, or the goalie they signed from uh, Minnesota State, who won the Hobie Baker. Wall is um, he going to step in the National Hockey League? Or but but well, he'll start he'll start in the American League. But I mean, if if you win the Hobie Baker, you must yeah. be a pretty you must be a pretty darn good goalie. No, it's good. No, you're right. But but I see mean, that he's going to get entry level contracts. He's going to make seven hundred. Yeah. So whether it's one of those yeah. three, the backup I think is we're we're in agreement. The backup is fine. One between yeah. old uh, Shalgren or this kid is fine. Um, I think priority number two has got to be to find two wingers to play with John Tavares. First and yeah. foremost, you've got to protect him uh, because they need more production out of that second spot. That unit. <clears throat> And I think they always talk about Makaev, but I like to see Makaev stay with Engvall and Kemp for a whole season and work together as a third line because they did show real flashes of brilliance throughout the year. Playoffs, they were good, but they weren't great. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to point number three, meaning sign Makaev to keep him in a Toronto uniform. Well, you're going to, I think you have to. I mean, <clears throat> Makaev, uh, Engvall, they played well all season. They didn't play as well in the playoffs, but they had moments where they, they did play well. You got to sign him for sure. Um, again, you know what is the what is the number going to be? I mean, the guy scored over twenty some goals. I mean, are you looking at three or four million a year? Well, I think the number uh, starts a, with a four. Yeah, on a short term deal, more than likely a two or a three year deal. I would have to think. But again, they don't have room in, to sign him. Unless they move out some money. Well, that brings us to the next part. Here's where it's going to get real interesting in the offseason. Uh, now, Mrazek's contract. 
here's one of the keys. You got to, if they can pull another Nick Ritchie and get rid of this, either if they have to drag a little bit back, a buyout's going to cost them, I think, too much over four years. So it doesn't really solve the problem. That's the last resort. But what would it be? About a million? A million three million. this year, I believe, is the number, and 800 and change next year, then a million one, million two, the two following years after. Okay. But if you did a deal where you would move him out as part of a package and retain a million dollars, it's a one and done, and you're finished. And then he moves on to the next team. So that could be, or over two years, if you want to do it that way, if you really got aggressive with somebody. But so I, I think the finagling's got to start on at that end to free up some space. So who the obvious targets? This is what you're going to deal with here now. The guy with the he, he, he can be very difficult to move though, Mike. Um, well, you got to. This is where you're going to have to give something. Three up and a half million. He's been. He was injured pretty much the whole season, and. Oh, I'm with uh, it. They're going to have to give. They're going to have to give something up to like. They're going to have to pay somebody to take. Mm -hmm. so or you're going to have to throw in another decent player with him for somebody to bite on that. Oh, absolutely, no question. Yeah. So let's go through some of the targets they're going to be throwing out there. I mean, William Nylander's obviously one that everybody's always talking about. The other one I would say is Alex Kerfoot, unfortunately. Justin Hall is one name that gets thrown around because he makes $2 million. And you know what? I'll throw Jake Muzzin in that pile because he's injury prone. Mm -hmm. He votes substantially, and you can see it in his game. And now with Giordano, who's great value to 100000 any more than that, I think he'd have been overpaying, to be quite frank, because he is slowing down, and he was slow, and he was struggling in his own end in the playoffs when Tampa was pressing him. And over an 82-game schedule taking that, unless they're going to do load management with him, which I doubt he would allow them to do that, because he's one of those guys who wants to play like Spezza every day. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to give up somebody that you don't want to. And Labushkin, I think, for the right price, brings the edge sorely needed, filling what little. A little of what Muzzin brings with his aggressiveness, yeah. he takes the body. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And I, I mean, like, what it, I, I don't know personally. I mean, if you could bundle those four or five guys you mentioned together and get one team to take them for for one defenseman and a prospect and a draft pick. I mean, and then maybe you have to maybe you have to keep some of the money. And say we'll pay whatever. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how they're going to pull it off, but I just don't see anybody taking Muzzin at uh, five and a half million. You're going to have there's going to have to be unless it's a. Again, you've got to give something up for him if if they want to do that to make room on that end because some but somebody good is going to have to go. There's just uh, no well problem. that, and you know that's the thing. The thing that's uh, that really sucks about the, the National Hockey League right now is you build a great team, you draft well, you you sign some free agents, you trade for good players, and then all of a sudden you have a good year, and then you, you're going to have to lose a few players. And if you look at the Stanley Cup champs for the last however many years, Chicago, they had to get rid of Ladd, Bufflin, and Sod all in one year after they won a cup, and then last year. Tampa lost Gord, Coleman, and Goudreau, which was the best third line probably in the National Hockey League. So it kind of – I just think – I would really love the, the National Hockey League to look at some kind of um, franchise player tag or something. But yep. it has to be someone that you drafted and developed that you put that tag on, and maybe 25% of his cap counts or something like that. 
I think that would keep teams from losing, you know, some of their better players uh, that they need uh, when they do get good. Yeah, you're right. Well, listen, the Leafs aren't alone in this, by the way. There's probably like Claude Giroux, um, you know, Flip Forsberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be de- – like, um, I've heard Nazem Kadri not even going to try and sign him because they can't. They have no room for him. I mean, look at somebody like Evander Kane. He's going to walk out of Edmonton. They can't afford to keep him because he's going to get a big raise after what he's just been doing in the playoffs. Um, everybody's in the same boat. Even Darcy Kemper, like in Colorado, they got to try and keep him somehow. So everybody's in the same boat. And so to your point – that is something that, uh, you know, I think is definitely worth discussion at the National Hockey League level. Definitely. I, I think it is because, I mean, you're looking at probably eight to ten teams in the National Hockey League that are very, very good, that are going to lose good players this offseason. Absolutely. No and that, and a lot of those are guys that you that you drafted and developed and to become a good team. And I think it's very, very unfair that you can draft players, develop them, and then they get to the point where you have to pay them that kind of money and then you have to lose them. And I think that that's wrong. I, I think if you if you do your homework and draft well, develop well and become a good team, you don't deserve to lose good players. Well, here's a couple of players for you to throw out there. Now, Pierre Engvall, I think he's a restricted free agent, so but he does have some sort of he has a little protection for himself. But the Leafs have a little protection. So something will get done there, I assume. Uh, Cache is a little different story. Now he brings in that right element. He's a, but he's a restricted free agent also, so he's in the same boat a little bit as Engvall. Only his concussions and injuries, he seemed to be hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. You're tying up money, no matter how little it is, in a guy who he goes out one shift and you don't know if he's coming back. And then that brings you to Colin Blackwell. Again, he's under a million dollars. He's a guy I think that can drive that fourth line. And the thing is, we got a, you have to start challenging some of these Marlies for they, mm-hmm. they've got to step up and challenge for spots on the team. And it's about time for some of these guys, Joey Anderson with 26 goals this year in the Marlies. He's got NHL experience and these guys are all a less, they all make less than a buck a year. So, I mean, these are the type of guys like him, Alex Steves, Nick Robinson's got to get NHL strong. He's too weak on the puck, gets pushed off too much. He's got to get stronger. Uh, this Pontus Holmberg, they're really high on him. Nick Ambrosier, he had mm-hmm. a shot this year, but he didn't really do a lot to make a lot of noise when he did get his shot. But these are the type of guys, somebody in that pack is going to have to step up and earn a spot and take a spot. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that's where your your fourth line is going to come from. And maybe one part of your third line, I think, is going to come. It has to come from the Marlies. And maybe a defenseman as well. I, I don't yeah, really absolutely. know. I mean, because those guys are coming in and they're going to be under a million dollars. So if you can if you can fill in f- four spots of players under a million dollars, then you, you you know you're doing pretty darn good. Well, they have to, and then that brings us to the the one and the one everybody's going to be asking about is Jason Spezza and. You know, the thing about him, he brings such a quality of leadership and stability to the locker room and to the kids. If you can afford him, you can find a spot to squeeze him under the cap, I say, bring him back. But I would say in a very limited role. At this point, you've got to have these guys step up and start. They got to start. You got to start moving within. And the succession plan has to be in order to advance this team. Yeah, I I agree with you 100 percent on that. And uh, like, uh, again, you bring Jason back if if 
these guys aren't ready to step in and, and take one of those positions, I think. And, uh, you know, his leadership is, is vital, but at the same time, he's getting up there in age. And, and I like Jason. He's a great player. Uh, he was a great player. He still is a pretty good player, but he's getting up there. Uh, his leadership is valuable. But again, if the kids can come up and take that spot, I think you have to go that route. Yep, no question. So, but it's all going to hinge on whether the Leafs can make a significant trade or move something around. You know, the teams are going to be calling because they smell blood in the water. So they're going to be circling the wagons. That's for sure. So there's going to be opportunity, I would suggest. But I would say that, uh, uh, you know, you think management watching what has unfolded since they've been eliminated. So let's go to this step group has changed their thinking moving forward. Not to belabor the point too much, but take away that phantom called high stick in game six against Tampa. And I know I'm speaking like a Leaf fan here. We could be discussing their third round opponent tonight, Squid, instead of talking about what they're going to do next year to get through the first round. Yeah, I I mean, I can't disagree with you on that. I mean, I, and again, I, I, I think I said it before, but that high stick against uh, Pittsburgh, they went to the box and they reviewed it. Yep. And then they realized that it was his own keen stick that hit him. There was no call. Why didn't they do that with that high stick? Especially at that time of the game and that critical part of a series. Exactly. I mean, I mean, the second one was a no-brainer. I mean, Absolutely. you know, there, there's no question that that was a high stick. But that first one, even in regular speed, you could tell that it probably didn't hit him. And he sold it pretty good. So why don't you go? Why don't you go to the box and get the call right, as everybody keeps saying? Nope. Get the call right. Well, I think again, unfortunately for us, Leaf fans, they're they're being used as sort of the precedent moving forward that they're going to use that as the example to to check these going on. So anyway, you know, I think that you know, Mr. Dubas has got some work ahead of him. I don't think they're going to get tricked too hard in this. I. I it's going to be interesting to see how they do do this because it's such a very fine line. It's wafer thin. Mm -hmm. One move one way or the other because this team is that close and you can smell it. So it's that time of the week again, my friend. The quote of the week. Now, I think the theme should be just along what we've been talking about is striving to believe in what you're doing. So how about that? Because – Mm -hmm. That's been the theme the last couple of years as far as they go. They want to stick with the same core and they want to go with what they're going. So you want to go with what you believe in. So it's not quite like Journey, you know, don't stop believing, but maybe it is. Maybe we should be playing that in the background when we're talking here. But there are some tough choices ahead for the Leafs. So this one's for Cal Dubas. So you ready? I'm ready. Successful people have fear. Successful people have doubts. And successful people have worries. They just don't let these feelings stop them. I like that. I, in fact, I love it, actually, because you're absolutely right. There's no question that, you know, there's fear, anxiety, there's doubts. But if you have that belief that you need to do something, then you got to do it. And do it. I mean, look, look at uh, the Raptors. You know, they make that big deal. They get Kawhi Leonard. Yep. They don't even, they don't know if they're going to be able to have him for more than a year. They win it. They win a championship. I mean, well, that's what you know. people are saying now. The Leafs need that sort of Raptor moment. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not. I'm not sure they need a, a big moment like that. But again, Bill, well, they they got a lot of work to do. Let's put it that way. With the guys they have to sign, yeah, it's a little guys busy. that they might have to move out, and uh, he's going to be pretty busy between now and the draft. I would, I would say imagine. I would say he is. <laughs> well, folks, that's it for today. Now, next week, we're going to be moving to a new time slot. Mondays at 6. Since the season's over, we're going to start the beginning of the week and just sort of recap what happens on the weekend and what's moving forward for the Maple Leafs. Be sure to tune in to this week's 92nd episode of the Squid Milton Leaf Band Podcast. Drops Friday at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. The tongue's not working real good here today, Squid, again. on all I, your I, think, I, think, I think you mean 90 minutes, too, right? Uh, what's that? Did you say 90 seconds? Did I say 90, uh, 90 second, 90 second. Oh, I thought 92, you said 90. 90, 92 or 90, 92 <laughs> seconds. Sorry, 90, 90 second, 92 second episode of Screen Nelton Leaf Fan Podcast. Yes. Okay. <laughs> number 92, number 92. I, I thought you said 90 seconds and I'm going. 90 seconds, no, 92 that's seconds. That's a pretty short podcast. <laughs> no, no, or 90, no, no, that, that's not quite like that. It's usually about an hour and a half, but uh, that's an hour actually. Uh, it drops Friday at 6 o'clock on all your regular podcast networks or 365 Sports Network out of New York. We're on that also. Mm -hmm. uh, this week's guest, Matthew Barnaby. Squid, they don't come much friendlier than Barney. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Uh, he's honest. He doesn't hold back. Uh, he speaks his mind. He always has. He's always been that way. He doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, uh, he, he had success by being that type of person and player. So if that's successful, you may as well keep it going. Well, and he's writing a book. And if anybody should write a book and some of the oh. stories he relayed to us, he is a guy definitely should be writing a book. And he is. It comes out in the fall. So we're probably going to get him back on in the, on the fall to talk about that. But in the meantime, tune in Friday to listen to him. He's definitely worth listening, folks. He's a very funny guy. So oh, yeah. we just want to say to you guys, thank you again for listening. And we'll talk to you guys on Monday.